0: You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting cityschurch.com. This is not a Christmas sermon. This is an Advent sermon. It's on a Christmas passage. That was the Christmas story that Mike just read. But this is not a Christmas sermon. It's an Advent sermon. In years past, we've had an Advent catechism that we've used with our kids in Sunday school. We didn't use it as much this year. Some of you may have continued to use it in your home. Um, here's, here's how the Advent catechism goes What season are we celebrating? Advent. What is Advent? Advent is the season before Christmas. What kind of season is Advent? Advent is a season of waiting. Where are we waiting? In a land of deep darkness. What are we waiting for? The light to shine on us. What do we do during Advent? Prepare our hearts to welcome Jesus. And what do we confess during Advent? Christ has come. Christ will come again. So I want you to hear this sermon on the Christmas story with Advent ears. As we've been walking through the first chapters of Luke, what have we seen? The first week, Pastor Jonathan unfolded the witness and the joy of John the Baptist. A prophet like Elijah, John bore witness to Jesus. His birth to a barren woman brought great joy to her and to those around her, and his mission of preparation for the Messiah brought great joy to the world by turning the hearts of fathers back to their children, by turning people back to God. From the womb, John the Baptist was celebrating his cousin Jesus and throughout his life would live so as to draw attention to him. He must become greater, I must become less. Second week of Advent, Pastor David unpacked the story of Mary, the mother of our Lord. And we saw Mary's submission to the angel's message, unlike Zechariah's doubts. We saw her beautiful song, the Magnificat, which is more than a personal celebration of God's favor to her, but is instead a hymn of praise to the God who is for all of us. He is holy. He is mighty. He gives mercy from generation to generation. He shows his strength not by recruiting the strong, but by scattering the proud, by bringing down the mighty and exalting the humble and satisfying the hungry and the poor. And he does all of this in faithfulness to his promises with the ultimate aim that we would magnify the Lord by rejoicing in God our Savior. And then we saw that Mary, like John the Baptist, points us to Jesus. Yes, she is blessed. Yes, she is favored. But her son is the son of the Most High. He is the son of David. He is the son of God, born by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin. And then last week, Pastor Jonathan returned to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. His doubts led to nine months of silence. But Zechariah made the most of those months. For nine months, the angel's words boiled and bubbled in his silent soul, so that when God finally loosed his tongue, Zechariah erupted, just like Mary did, with a spirit-inspired song of praise. To the God of Israel. And Zechariah's story centered on mercy, the practical mercy of a baby born to a barren woman, the promised mercy flowing from God's covenant with Abraham and David, that mercy that delivers us from enemies and sets us free to serve God without fear. And finally, the personal, tender mercies of God that forgives our sins and gives light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and guides our feet into the way of peace. And that brings us then to Luke 2, and one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. You've heard Linus read it in the Charlie Brown Christmas special every year probably for your entire life. He drops his blanket, right? Security blanket. He doesn't need it when he's reading the story of Christmas. You know all about the decree of Caesar Augustus and the journey to Bethlehem, no room in the inn, the shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night, The angel, the glory, the heavenly army singing glory to God in the highest. And then the shepherd's visit to the baby. Everyone's amazement at what's happening. And Mary watching, observing, treasuring, pondering it all in her heart. And then there are the lesser known parts of the story. What the story continues in Luke 2. Jesus' circumcision at the temple where there's an old man named Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel, having been promised by God himself that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And then he recognizes Jesus, and like everyone in this story, it seems, he burst into song. Luke 2, 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. And then we meet Anna, the prophetess, the woman who'd been widowed for 50, maybe 60 years, praying and fasting daily in the temple. And she sees Jesus and gives thanks to God because she knows he is going to redeem Jerusalem. Now, at the center of this story, of course, is the angelic announcement, chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Fear not! For I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And as Pastor Jonathan noted a few weeks ago, there's this repeated progression in these chapters whenever angels show up. They arrive causing great fear. They immediately tell people, don't fear. And then they replace that fear with joy. In this case great joy. Literally, it says, I bring you good news of great joy. I gospel you great joy. It's a verb. It's not a noun. It's not I bring you good news. It's I gospel you great joy. I herald, I gloriously herald you great joy. And it's joy for all people because Jesus is the Savior. He's the Messiah and he is the Lord. Those three great titles stand at the center of the Christmas story. take them one at a time. He's the savior. As Simeon says later, he is the salvation prepared in the presence of all peoples. He saves us from our enemies, from the world, the flesh, and the devil. He saves us from our sins. He delivers all who trust in him, Jew or Gentile, from the judgment of a holy God. He is the Messiah. The anointed king of Israel who sits on the throne of his father, David. And whenever I hear Messiah, my mind immediately goes to Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the kingdoms plot in, peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Messiah, his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart. Let us cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. A Savior who is Christ, the Messiah, and finally the Lord. And this is the most surprising one. Pastor David mentioned it in his sermon, he noted that in Luke chapters 1 and 2, the word Lord, Kyrios in Greek, appears 25 times. That's a lot in two chapters. 23 of them, it clearly refers to God. In two of them, it refers to Jesus. Once in the mouth of Elizabeth and now in the mouth of the angelic host. This Savior, this Messiah, is not merely a human king, not merely the Davidic king. He is the Lord, Yahweh himself, Israel's God and the maker of heaven and earth. And that announcement, great joy for all peoples because the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord is born. That is at the center of the Christmas story. But this is not a Christmas sermon. This is an Advent sermon which means I want you to notice a progression in these chapters over the last few weeks as they build to that angelic announcement. I want you to hear the first chapters of Luke with Advent ears. What kind of season is Advent? Advent is a season of waiting. Where are we waiting? In a land of deep darkness. Advent songs, if you've noticed, are often sung in a minor key. O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's a minor key. And so hear the minor key as it plays through Luke 1 and 2. First, just consider the variety of people that we've seen in these two chapters. These people who are waiting in this land of deep darkness. You have an old, respectable, childless couple. Descendants who can trace their lineage back to the days of David and Moses. Consider the teenage peasant girl who is in the midst of planning her wedding. Consider those dirty, lower-class, rough-around-the-edges shepherds as they guard their flocks from thieves and wolves. Consider that old, devout man living in Jerusalem and that old woman praying at the temple. Young and old, rich and poor, married and unmarried and widow. This story contains all types of people, and now consider the darkness that these people are dwelling in. Consider that deep darkness of infertility and the shame and reproach that only a barren woman can know. And it might strike you, it might seem strange, to be ashamed, to feel reproach at infertility and barrenness. Because it's not like Elizabeth could help it. It's not like she chose it. Why would she feel reproach and shame? What a wise man once said, sometimes we are most ashamed of the things we can't help. Sometimes the things we can't help are the things that bring us the most shame. Now consider the deep darkness of her husband. A man whose ancestors reach back literally over a thousand years. Just think about that. He can trace his ancestors, a thousand years, and he does not have a child to carry on the family line. Consider the deep darkness of the poor, of those oppressed by the proud and mighty, like Mary and Joseph and those shepherds who know hunger and no thirst and no need, who sleep outside in winter and give birth in stables. Consider the deep darkness of those who sit in the shadow of death like that old man in Jerusalem who's just sitting around waiting to die. And Consider the deep darkness of the lonely like that old woman who lives at the temple because we're told her husband died decades ago. She was married for seven years and she's in her 80s. And then reach back even farther in that land of deep darkness. Reach back to Genesis, where we've been all semester, and listen again with Advent ears. Hear the minor chord in the story of Jacob and his sons. Consider the deep darkness of the jealousy and strife between twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, who battled each other from the womb. Consider the deep darkness of the jealousy and rivalry of two wives, Rachel and Leah, Whose father used them and manipulated them into marrying the same man. Consider the deep darkness of Jacob as he wrestled with God and his promises in the night and woke with a limp for the rest of his life. Consider the deep darkness of a family torn apart by jealousy and envy as 11 brothers sell their own kin into slavery. And then consider the deep and tumultuous darkness of that man as he's thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, and then rises in Potiphar's house through his own faithfulness, only to be falsely accused, thrown into prison, and then forgotten by men of power whom he had helped, but then left him to rot. Advent is a season of waiting. And these saints, in Genesis and in Luke, were waiting in a land of deep darkness. And now consider the movement of those chapters. As they walk through two birth announcements and then two births. Announcement of John, announcement of Jesus, birth of John, birth of Jesus. That's been the four sermons. Listen how the light begins to dawn in their darkness. Notice how the story builds from chapter 1 when Gabriel announces good news to Zechariah. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at this birth. And then it builds as Gabriel comes to Mary bringing God's favor, promising her the Son of the Most High. And then Mary and Elizabeth meet and John leaps for joy in the womb because he knows the Lord is near. And then as John is born, the one who will prepare the way, we hear Zechariah celebrate the tender mercies of God who will give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and guide our feet into the way of peace. So these notes in these past three weeks of joy and light and peace build until one night in the bleak midwinter the darkest time of the year when you can have a candlelight service at 5 p.m. because the sun's already down. In a land of deep darkness, light bursts forth and shocks some sleepy shepherds. Blazing glory, brilliant light, bright, shining, good news, great joy for all people. triumphant splendor that scatters fear and a heavenly army heralding peace on earth. And so now we sing our Christmas songs, right? We sing Christmas songs in a major key. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful, all ye nations, rise, join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Gloria in excelsis Deo, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, come, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Come, let us adore him. And so the call goes out in a major key. Come to Bethlehem and see. Marvel, be amazed. Ponder in your heart. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Post tenebras lux. Latin, after darkness, light, that's Christmas. This is not a Christmas sermon. This is an Advent sermon. And so I don't want you to miss the minor key that runs through these stories and persists after the angels sing. Consider this. Great joy! And then that old man, Simeon, who's about to depart in peace, says to the child's parents in chapter 2, verse 34, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. His presence will reveal the thoughts of many hearts. In other words, this child is going to begin a sifting. He will be the aroma of life and joy and peace to some, and the aroma of death, and misery, and darkness to others. And then, that old man, who's just waiting to die, looks that mother in the eye and says, a sword will pierce your own soul. Great joy! And a sword is coming that will cut you deeper than your teenage heart can imagine. And that young teenage girl is left to ponder those words in her heart. And that's not the only sword in this story. Great joy! And elsewhere in Bethlehem, there are other young women bearing children, nursing newborns. And in a few short years, soldiers from a wicked and desperate king will break down their doors, doors, and swords will pierce their toddlers on what will be the darkest night of their lives. Great joy! And somewhere in Capernaum, there's a young boy who is paralyzed and will lay on a mat his whole life while he watches his friends, his good friends, play, just wishing that he could take up his mat and walk. Great joy, and somewhere in the country of the Gerasenes, there's a man, an odd man. In a few years, his life is going to start to spiral out of control And those thousand evil voices in his head will begin to overwhelm him until he is imprisoned in his own naked body. Great joy! And somewhere in Galilee, there's a young woman walking the streets. In about 18 years, she's going to start bleeding and it won't stop she'll spend over a decade seeking relief from doctor after doctor after doctor, all of whom will just make it worse. Great joy. And in Capernaum, there's a young man named Jairus who wants to grow up to be a ruler in the synagogue. In about 18 years, he's going to have a daughter who will be the apple of his eye. 12 years after that, he will watch as she begins to waste away by some unstoppable disease. And then she's going to die, and he's not going to be there for it because he will be out making one last desperate attempt to get help. The light shines in the darkness. Darkness does not overcome it. But neither does the darkness disappear. And that's not all. Two thousand years later, in a land of deep darkness, a great variety of people will be gathered to hear the Christmas story at the darkest time of the year. And each they will have swords piercing their own souls, each one of them a little bit different. Great joy! as families are torn apart by relational strife and intractable conflict. Great joy as families and individuals reckon with the long-term consequences of substance abuse and childhood trauma and marital unfaithfulness. Great joy as families and individuals face the uncertainty of the future the loss of the job as the bills pile up and the savings run out. Great joy as unmarried men and women long and yearn to find someone to spend their lives with. Great joy as heavy-hearted couples silently bear the burden of infertility, grieving that God hasn't answered their prayers the way he did Sarah and Rachel and Hannah And Elizabeth, why not me? Great joy as young couples experiencing the shocking emotional whiplash of miscarriage. Great joy as people, young and old, face life-changing diagnoses, cancer, stroke, genetic disorders, Great joy as individuals and families reckon with crippling anxiety and inexplicable depression, and sometimes a darkness so deep that the desire to live is overwhelmed and the will to go on is put out. Great joy. As parents ache for their children who are wandering far from the Lord. Great joy as children ache for their parents who are wandering far from the Lord. And great joy as families grieve the loss of mom or dad or brother or sister or son or daughter who lie buried in this land of deep darkness. This is not a Christmas sermon. This is an Advent sermon. What is advent? Advent is the season before Christmas. Kind of season is advent? Advent is a season of waiting. Where are we waiting? In a land of deep darkness. What are we waiting for? The light to shine on us. What do we do during advent? Prepare our hearts to welcome Jesus. And what do we confess during Advent? Christ has come. Christ will come again. Advent is a reminder that in this life, in the land of deep darkness, the great joy of Christmas is never without its sorrow. The major key of triumphant joy contains the minor key of grief and affliction. The curse that hangs over this broken world is real, but the story is true. And so I want to now, as we come to this table, gospel you with great joy. I want to bring you good news of great joy for all people. There is a Savior. He is Christ. The Lord, and He has come to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. And at this table, I want you to remember whatever sword is presently piercing your soul, the nails pierced His hand, and the spear pierced His side for you. His body is for you. His blood is for you. He is for you. So come and behold him. Come, let us adore him. Pray with me. Father, it's good. It's good to read the Christmas story on the last Sunday of Advent. It's good for us to hear the triumphant joy in the midst of our deep darkness and to know that we don't have to pretend like the darkness has gone away, that the darkness is nothing now, that it's all joy all the time, because it's not. And so we thank you for your word that encourages us by showing us the land of deep darkness and then showing us the blazing light and then showing us that the darkness persists. Help us, Lord, to long for your return when every tear will be wiped away and it will be only joy forever. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. As the pastors come for the bread, just a reminder, it's gluten-free. So all of you can take it if you're a guest with us. uh, We invite you to, to join us. If you're trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you're welcome at our table. It's the Lord's table. His body is the true bread. Let us serve you.